This week on the Recruitment Flex, Employ acquires one of our favorite ATS, Lever. Professional recruitment designations. Do you really need it? People follow people and not brands. Have you adjusted your social media strategy? And you don't want to post your pay rate on Indeed? No worries. Indeed will just do it for you. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hey now, it's your favorite recruiter, Serge and Shelly. How are you doing, Shelly? <laughs> Great, Serge. How are you? I am doing good. The summer's going by so quick. We're already like the first week of August and school starts like in three to four weeks, which just... I know. Is insane. And I remember as a kid, just counting the weeks till school started again and not counting it because I decided to go back to school, no. counting it being like, I have four more weeks to play baseball every day. But then I look at my oldest daughter. She's in a camp next week in Kananaskis, which is in the Rocky Mountains doing some camping and everything. So she's extremely excited about that. And I'm excited for her. Yeah. Or is Di going with her? No, by herself. No, they don't let them do overnights. No, it's not an overnight. Okay. Okay. They take the bus to Canmore where my parents-in-law are right now. It's going to be a day of camping, then nights with grandpa and grandma, which I think she'll have lots of fun. But talking about daughters, I'm very (laughs) curious on an update about Brooklyn, who's having a lot of difficulties finding a summer job, but I guess summer's almost over. So what's the deal? (laughs) Do you know what? I've got the most heartwarming story to share. This was amazing. You usually upload and post on Thursday, right? So Friday morning, I got a message from one of our listeners who said, hey, when you said your millennial was having trouble getting work, I think you were referring to Brooklyn. If it was, a friend of mine's wife is the general manager at this restaurant and is looking for a hostess. And so long as they're reliable and pleasant and well-groomed and will show up, right? So he offered to refer her. I was so heartwarmed that someone would reach out to me. Also, it's not a place that she would have thought to apply to either. You have to have the pro-serve certification if you're going to be serving food. But as a hostess, like she never thought of it to be seating people and helping clear tables and stuff. You got to start somewhere, right? But wow, thank you. (laughs) Did she get the job? What's the next step? Her resume was passed along. The manager was on vacation this week. She did up a resume, make sure it was specific to doing this type of work and why she thinks she would be well suited. She's super outgoing. Yeah. So no, I think sweet, it's a but... great job for her. I yeah. need an update when she does get the job. Okay. They should okay. be moving quicker, right? When you have a really good candidate like this, but I, I get it. So people are, in I know summer. Canada. Well, she's looking for something she can do for the next three or four years while she's in university and then have shifts like during the breaks and Christmas and what have you. But she's looking for like somewhere to stay the whole time. So Shelly, last week I posted about people saying that young people or people don't want to work. And that's quite a reaction. Hey, I got four or five direct messages on LinkedIn saying, yeah, you're right. But it's really different now. Like now it's for real. 
young people don't want to work. Does everyone that messaged me fit in the demographic of boomers? <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> and generally came from HR. My first thought is maybe it's a little bit different right now. Maybe. But not really. We've always said it's different. That's the whole point of that Twitter thread and of us discussing. It's really not different. Obviously, the economies, the type of jobs, everything is so different. Not too long ago, I commented on a posting of someone saying no one wants to work in fast food anymore because they have so much trouble opening. And when I was in my late teens, getting a job at a fast food place was amazing. It was really hard to get. Like, what's different? And like, think about how many McDonald's and fast food places there were 20, 25 years ago compared to now. I think the numbers in the US is there's four times more quick service restaurants than there was in the early 80s. Of course, there is a lot less people to do the jobs. When you multiply the amount of restaurants or those types of jobs, it's always going to be a challenge. I don't Did think they say different. what they felt was different other than what you just pointed out. Now you can drive anywhere within three minutes and be at a fast food restaurant. So that makes sense. But what's changed now? Did anybody say a lot of them said they're surprised when people coming into the workforce are asking for more than minimum wage, which like makes sense. If there's more competition and they have more options, they are going to try to make the most amount of money. And kudos to people that are going and asking for more money. If they have options, why not? Why shouldn't you so ask for more money? How could that possibly link to not wanting to work? It says the opposite. I'm willing to work but I've got four times more options than you and I did when we were that age. Yeah, This is about matching. I don't know any teenagers that are independently wealthy. It's not that they don't want to work because they've all got trust funds and their mom and dad's last name is Trump. <laughs> I don't know. Like you would have to be from an extremely wealthy family to be able to say that you don't want to work. Oh, well, and I agree. I think kids want to work. They need money. They want to buy their own stuff and want jobs where they see some value in it. Or yeah. at least if they're not seeing value, they're making good money. Mm -hmm. So I don't blame that particular generation for asking more money. It's not showing that they don't want to work. No one wants to work for less than average wages or work for a crappy company. And companies that used to be able to get away with treating their employees like shit, they just can't anymore because that person will quit and they will go work next door. So we've talked about this ad nauseum. The fact is a lot of people still think this generation does not want to work, even if the facts are there. And I don't think that will ever change. I'm still waiting for that day when I'm a little bit older, I'm going to say, yo, those young people don't want to work anymore. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, when my girls become teenagers, I don't know what the world will look like. But they will work. I can't support. I'm way too cheap for that, Shelly. Yeah. If you want nice things, you need to make money. Yeah. If right? you want to go to concerts, if you want to you do fun, fun things, you're going to have to use your own money. My money is going to fund my fun things, not your fun <laughs> things. So that's what I'm exactly. telling my kids already. But let's just say young people do want to work. You just have to give them the right opportunity. Talking about wanting to work. Uh, well, I guess it doesn't really correlate, but I'll make it work. So our first okay. recruitment insight, 
of the week. Yesterday, I saw a transaction that happened in our space. Employee, who was the organization that was created in March when they merged Javite, Jazz HR, and NXTing RPO, they acquired one of our favorite ATS, Lever. So for Americans, probably call it Lever. Lever. <laughs> I'll give you some of the highlights. So basically, Employ, Chief Marketing Officer, said the transaction makes Employ the largest modern provider of talent acquisition solutions. By adding Lever, the company becomes home to 850 employees serving 18,000 customers. It supports 3.1 million active jobs, nearly 500 million candidates, and 4.9 million hires over the past 12 months. I'm a big fan of Jobvite overall. I'm a fan of Jazz HR too. I am still surprised by this. And right. one of the things that we talked about probably three, four months ago was mm-hmm. our friends at Recruiting Brain Food did a survey to recruiters across the world to really rank the top ATS. The first one was Greenhouse and falling in second place was Lever followed by Smart Recruiters. Recruiters love Lever. 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 Clever. <laughs> What's your thoughts around this transaction? How does well, it fit into the employee jobvite world? Obviously, they have favorable response from people who use their product. But what is it that Lever offers that you can't get with Jobvite or Jazz HR? To have all three of these under one roof, I don't understand. There's small differences, right? Is Lever there? has launched different types of platforms. They have a talent platform that gives you an idea of what type of jobs are going to be okay. needed within your organization in the coming years. But they're all very similar. If we look at mm-hmm. how we leverage an ATS, I would say 90% is the core, which is that digital file cabinet, right? Yes. And what I think Lever does better probably than Jobvite and Jazz HR is it's really easy to use, has a really great UI, and it's been geared towards more the tech startups or the mid-sized companies, not the larger enterprise where Jobvite right. probably does a better job, but it almost competes directly with Jazz HR. Not a lot of difference overall, but I think this is part of a bigger picture of HR tech organizations are consolidating across the board. We've seen massive amount of investments in HR tech. The great majority fails. The great majority of ATS don't really gain any traction in the long run. So I think what employees trying to do here is create a bench so they can compete with the biggest one, which is iSIMS, and potentially going into the route of the end-to-end talent management software. Maybe they're setting their sights on someone like Workday or AltiPro, but I'm not exactly sure how it all falls in together instead of just, hey, if we have the most amount of HR tech, our chances of winning this war in this space is better. That's my original thoughts. Hmm. I mean, if I had a magic wand, it would be a company like Employ that allow the Oracle clouds of the world and the SAPs of the world to do what they do well, which is enterprise systems. But what I'd love to see is the likes of Workday and the other bolt-on products be replaced with something like this, where you're bringing together the best of the best. That's how it should work. Your ERP is great because you need a solid accounting system for these complex global organizations. And give it up because if you reference again that survey, 
done by our friends at Recruiting Brain Food, where did those big platforms rank? They were in the bottom, right? Like if that doesn't send a clear message, let those other big ERPs do what they do best and then move in someone like an employee that can bring best of the best solutions specifically for talent acquisition. Yeah, I think part of the challenge there is they want to own the whole journey from A to Z. So the only way they could really do it is by buying a lever in this particular case and integrating it directly. When they really see the ATS as a bolt-on, as you said, it's mm-hmm. not the core of what they want to do, but they need it to be able to compete and exactly. have that solution yeah. across the board, but they all do a really bad job at it. It would have been smarter for a company like Oracle to acquire a lever and integrate it into their ERP or their whole HRIS system. So here's the thing though, Search, they had already. So when you look at the history of Taleo, PeopleSoft, whatever it was called historically, that's really what they did. What they failed to do was keep up with the changing demands of candidate behavior. And they let Taleo just run its course. They melt that cow dry. And they failed to actually have an investment in a true applicant experience, like end-to-end life cycle. They thought they did, right? That's how they sold it. Cloud solution. So talk to people who have to actually use it. Oh, it's horrible. It's terrible. They know how to sell it. They know how to pitch it. But when it comes to the day-to-day, how to actually use Oracle Cloud, It is so cumbersome. It's the same story. They sell you on this dream. And then when you want even a single line changed on a screen, it's a three-month queue to change one sentence. When you've got the likes of a job bite, Jazz HR, or Lever, where you can do it and it's immediate. You've got the controls right there. That would be the ideal solution. Well, you know what happens. Give it up, Oracle. Like, just stop. Generally, they're selling it to either finance or HR itself. And if you listen to their sales pitch, you think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Yep. The ATS has all these cool features. But when you dig in deeper, what the actual journey of a job seeker looks like, what's the day-to-day of a recruiter looks like on this system, it's just a really bad experience across the board because it's built to take in a lot of data and to be customized. At the end of the day, the ATS is really the one that suffers, which is a challenge because that's the intake, right? That's where the employee journey starts is in your ATS. But a lot of these companies see that as just a third phase. And the sales pitch is, hey, we'll throw in the ATS for free. It's fantastic. You got to spend a million dollars on the rest, but the ATS is at no cost. Companies not realizing they could get a lot better experience if they went out and paid maybe 20000 for a lever or a greenhouse or a smart recruiter. And it does everything it needs to do. And it can easily be bolted on to whatever HRS you have. So... Let's keep an eye of what's going to happen in this space. Talking about recruiters, Serge, I'm really interested to get your take on this. The question is, is there value in becoming a registered professional recruiter? The course itself, it is an accreditation program, three modules, like the very first module kind of made me cringe because (laughs) if you're trying to reduce recruitment costs, do you first of all understand Like it costs money to do this, right? Yet the first thing they pitch is that. And lowering the risk of bad hiring decisions. Hey, 
definite value in that because if you're not following a good solid process in how you select, how you do the intake with your manager, like there's value in learning that for sure. And the first thing I thought of is why would you want to take this? The answer to me seemed really obvious. First of all, hiring managers, they want to know if I've got an engineering degree, what's the first thing they're going to ask you? Well, where's your credentials to do this sort of work? So you know what? That's legit. That is legit because we know if you've got an HR degree, diploma, certificate, master's degree in human resources, how many courses did you actually take that are applicable to what's happening in today's market for what is talent acquisition? What, one course that you took in your second year? There's no way that you're going to be able to take that one course and be able to apply that to what's happening today. What are your thoughts, Serge? Is there value in, in having a RPR designation? Yeah, I'm very curious what it is in the US or across Europe, because I couldn't really find anything that's accredited like this. And you can actually put your RPR letters after your name on LinkedIn, which I see quite a bit. So a couple of thoughts here. Is there a downside? Probably not. There's really nothing bad that you can learn. There's probably value. I looked at the modules. I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'm doing this because the third one is avoid needless litigation, which really scared me because that's very HR to me. Like no one wants to get sued, but recruiters in general, you want them to be able to take risks, calculated risks. You want them to be aggressive. You want them to be out there. I do feel new recruiters coming into the space. There's no downside. It's not a hard course. Anyone can pass. I think literally the course is open book. It costs you like $900. It's a money grab because all of that info is on the internet and easily accessible is in this day and age. Just Google employment law. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What are the labor standards in our province? I hear No you. downside, but you should not stop there. I think there's way more value for recruiters to expanding their skill set, especially if we look at what you need to be a successful recruiter in this day and age. Yeah. There's tons of value taking copywriting courses. There's tons of value in taking recruitment marketing certifications. There's a great one with our friends at Rally Recruitment that you can take that brings mm. a ton of value, is very current of the practices used today, taking digital advertising courses. One of the first thing that I did when I started doing a lot of different types of advertising, I did my Facebook blueprint course and got my certification. I got my Google AdWords certification. That's brought me more value than an RPR designation as far as how I execute my job. There's great Udemy courses. There's great LinkedIn courses. So is it a necessity? No. But I do think we should always be learning. And if this is the way you're going to start with getting your RPR designation, great for you, but please do not stop there. Yeah. Great suggestion with copywriting. What is the easiest thing to fix in recruitment? It's write a good job ad. <laughs> Yet it seems to be a missing skill set because it's certainly nowhere to be found in the RPR. If you write a crappy job ad, or if you just simply take the job description and slap that up on your website and expect people are going to flock to it, no, you're going to have to pay big bucks to get anybody to even read it. <laughs> so I want to jump into the next recruitment okay. insight. We talk about the skills that are needed today to be successful in talent acquisition, but to overall to be successful in 
any role that you would do. One of them is building your own personal brands. As you are on LinkedIn a lot, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I'm starting to see a lot of brands basically posting shit day in, day out and thinking they're going to get engagement or followers. And after years of getting really no traction in what they're doing on social media, they still don't realize the power of the people within their organization and their power to build those personal brands. So I read an article, it's not geared towards the recruitment industry, but I think it applies directly because what we're seeing from companies is posting jobs or posting really fucking boring content, right? I don't know how many times I'm going to see how to write the perfect resume. And it's just like the same content that you've seen 400 different times. It's boring. No one wants to read that shit. No one wants to engage. It is very clear that people follow people, not brands. People that want to work for your company or buy your product want to know from people that actually work there. How many times do you see someone putting something, say on LinkedIn, with a really good topic, a really interesting conversation, and it goes viral because there's just more attraction, commenting on that person's feed comparing to Joe's recruitment shop that I know they're just trying to get more people to buy their product. But before I go into some tips and strategies of how you can use it, what's your thoughts overall on how they leverage their internal people's brand? It seems to be really hard for companies to get their head around this whole idea. We've been talking about this nonstop now. It is the age of the influencer. If it's about a job, imagine the power of being able to follow somebody within an organization as they take you on their journey. You know, when we talk about building your personal brand and sharing your story, people want to cheer for the underdog or they want to watch what happens, right? That is born into each and every one of us, regardless of what line of work you're in. Something even so simple, like within a corporate brand, imagine one of the engineers um, following the story as they're building the biggest co-gen plant here in Calgary. So you kind of go yawn, like who cares about electricity? But following the story of where these turbines came and being installed, and the real shame was it was only shared internally with the company. But what an incredible story for engineers to be sharing the problems and the challenges that they solved when the turbines were going to be late or they didn't fit or who knows, whatever the engineering challenge was. That's something that people will remember, they'll hang on to. And the engineers who are part of it, they're sharing it. Even something so simple as pictures on your LinkedIn, right? We're not saying you need to now have a marketing department for employee brand or employees' personal brands. We're saying give them something interesting to talk about. You're doing it already. But most of the times, the failure is to share it out. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the failure is to share it out. And I think that's a perfect example. Other engineers would find that fascinating. So when we talk about who is the target audience of who we're trying to hire in this case, well, an engineer going in and seeing the story of how they develop 
whatever they were building. Yeah. Fascinating, right? And then they they picturing them inside of that environment and getting a real story from someone that's in it. I completely agree. I think what a lot of companies are doing is they're overly concerned about their branding standards or what their voice looks like. The voice of the brand is their employees. So if their employees can go out and give a good story or share what it is on a day-to-day basis of what they need to do to execute their job, that's a way better story to tell than, I don't know. Totally controlling the narrative. Yeah, marketing wants to control the narrative. They're afraid that people are stupid and they're going to say something that will embarrass the company. So give guidelines, right? And and most of the time they're overly concerned with production. And we see a ton of overproduced content that really doesn't get anywhere because you can tell it's overproduced. There's nothing authentic. There's nothing original about it. It's just a marketing company working with them and saying, no, it needs to meet all these brand standards or the brand's going to go sideways. And that's not the case. So what can employers do to help their employees build their internal brands? First of all, don't give them overly stringent brand guidelines because Mm -hmm. I'll ignore it. I can build my personal brand. No one owns that. So you can either be part of it as the company I work for or not. So if you're overly stringent and I have to be concerned, I'm just not going to mention about anything work or that company. You want to stay away from that. You can give them tools. One tool that I really love in creating employee and employer stories is Good Seekers. We had Eric on the show, I think a couple of months ago. So everyone should go back and listen to that episode if this is something that has interest to you. Then if you're in sale, building your personal brand is absolutely critical. But they're not always the most creative. If marketing can really be a help in building these brands. Let's give them some ideas, some concepts, help them in building out a little bit of an editorial process of this is what usually is needed to fit the brand, not going Mm -hmm. overly stringent, but helping people that maybe are not the most creative and giving them those ideas. But the biggest thing is companies need to get comfortable with things they can't measure because they love posting on their corporate brands and following their social media and they report on what those results are, how many followers they've grown. And that's a lot harder when you have all these individual people building their own personal brands. You have to look at it in a completely different way. It doesn't matter how many followers. If Joe that works in sales has gone viral and has brought a million views to your brand, take advantage of that. And we've seen this gone sideways, right? I think the perfect example is the dude who worked at Sherwin-Williams who makes paint on TikTok, got a viral following, and they fired him. Like, that is the exact opposite of what you need. Mm -hmm. You need to take advantage of that. You need to really nurture those people. So the last message I'm going to leave on is people don't follow brands. They don't care about brands. They care about other people. Organizations need to figure out how that looks like, not only in consumer and corporate marketing, but in employer recruitment marketing. If you engage your employees as well, there's a lot of data that shows that these people will feel more engaged and stay at your company longer. Great points. So last recruitment insight is Indeed's pay transparency. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how it works, what does it mean, and also share a little bit about 
the reaction that I'm seeing Mm -hmm. out there in the market. So as of July 26th, Indeed.ca, so this is just the Canadian side, they announced that at least 50% of jobs will now show a pay range. What this means is employers have the opportunity to include a pay range in the content of their job ad, which the scraping system of Indeed will read it and show that pay range. Or they can, if they're posting jobs directly, you can include it. It's right in their little form. Pretty easy to do. Now, in the absence of that, if there is no salary data supplied by the employer, Indeed uses their proprietary internal system to put an estimated pay range. This is no wild guess. This is a very sophisticated algorithm that does calculations on what is the pay range of this role. I've always said, like when any client is asking about pay ranges, you can Google it for God's sakes, and you'll get the top five sources in that will include Payscale, Glassdoor, Indeed, and ALIS, like the government websites. But I've always said that it's traditionally low. Even when you look at pay scale, the data that they give you is, I would even say chronically on the low end and not necessarily representative of what the job is really paying. Because if I may, it's always based on historical data versus what people are actually going to get paid or what they're asking for. So we need to keep that in mind. I hope that's not news to anybody out there that's listening. Because you and I talked about this in January when Indeed.com, which is the American side, they did the same thing. In January, 50% of all job postings had it. And they had a goal that by the end of July, 100% of all U.S. job postings will have a salary on it, either estimated or provided by the employer, which is wild when you think about it. Because we're like, hold on a minute. I think there's a lot of employers out there that weren't listening and they still don't want to share what their pay rates are. Now they won't have a choice because either you get ahead of this or it's going to happen to you. I think they just figured, well, you know what? I'm paying to promote my jobs on Indeed. Indeed's going to listen to me because I'm paying for it. If I could make one point to everyone listening, Indeed's number one mandate is the job seeker experience. That's how come they own 80% of eyeballs is they are relentless to ensure that the job seekers keep coming back because without job seekers, they got nothing to sell. The one last thing I'll add is that they intend to have all jobs on Indeed.ca with salary transparency or salary information by December 31st. What are your thoughts? I think it's fantastic. I think this has been an issue for too long. If you follow everything on social media, as far as what the biggest concern is from job seekers is pay transparency. Like, why am I wasting my time applying for a job, not having any idea of what the pay is? In a lot of cases, 
you don't even get that in the screening. You have to go through multiple steps in the process before you get that data. In this environment where there's a lot of jobs, there's not a lot of job seekers, companies that are not doing it are already a disadvantage, even if Indeed doesn't force it. But how many hiring managers and even recruit, I would say hiring managers way more than recruiters, they just don't want to share it. And they'll come up with the bullshit excuses that we've talked about before. It takes really a juggernaut like Indeed to force the industry to do this. Being a competitor to Indeed in my day job, I am ecstatic they're doing this because it forces the conversation with clients that we've already been having discussions that you need to do this if you want to get better results. I agree with you overall that not only Indeed, I'm seeing this shift with every job board across the industry. They're really focused on the job seeker experience. Great. Mm -hmm. Kudos. I think hiring managers that are saying, hey, I don't want to share that. They're going to be at massive disadvantage and soon will not have a choice because no one wants to be forced to share a pay rate that can be different depending on the type of organizations, how you pay or whatever the case is. But we need some standardization in the industry of how companies pay, what that looks like, how it shows up on job ads. So 100% behind it. I'm glad they did it. But I'm very curious because you see it on a day-to-day basis. What has been the feedback from companies that you work with? Are they happy? What are they saying? So every single TA person I have spoken to had the same reaction you did. I'm thrilled that indeed is doing this. Thank God, because it's such a waste of time for recruiters to put out job postings, spend all your time screening. And then the ones you really want to talk to, they're completely out of reach. Like what a waste of time. I will tell you on the other extreme, I do believe there have been some companies that have just said, fine, I'm not going to advertise on Indeed. Okay. Let us know how that works out for you. (laughs) Because if you don't want to hire That's probably a good strategy. Let's just pretend this isn't happening. But the same excuses, I would say, Serge, remember we we talked about the top four or five reasons why companies don't want to share. It is spot on for what I'm hearing. Well, we want to have the opportunity to sell them. Or we can't compete with the wages offered at the Amazon warehouse. And the first thing that came to mind was like, well, you probably want people who used to work there because what makes you think that's a great place to work? Change the conversation then. Or quite honestly, they are paying more for this role than their current employees are earning. And it's only been those that are not in talent acquisition that have had this reaction. You know, I've told this story many times. One of the my biggest failures being a talent acquisition leader was I was never able to get the senior executives to agree to share pay transparency on our job ads. I built business cases, showed every upside, downside, how it helps us compete, and it never got approved. Now, this is a really new tool that us in talent acquisition can leverage when we're talking to our senior leaders, because saying I'm not going to advertise on Indeed, where in a lot of markets, not all markets, but a lot of markets, they're by far the most dominant across the world. Removing yourself from where your job seekers go to look for jobs is not a good strategy. Probably Um, not. (laughs) You know exactly what's going to happen is 
they're going to pull it thinking, hey, look at us. We're not going to be pushed around by Indeed or anyone else. But suddenly when their candidate flow goes down by 80, 90%, they're going to be like, ah, what do we do now? Let's find other creative methods. And they wouldn't have a clue to start because what are you going to do? Go to Google for jobs? Well, they already mandate it now. ZipRecruiter is going to do the same thing. This is indeed taking the lead in the industry, being the biggest player, saying we're going to do this and everyone's going to follow suit. And we're already seeing legislation, like trying to fight against it is crazy. The train is moving. So everyone Mm -hmm. should get behind this. Yeah. So hopefully that's not breaking news to any of our listeners. And if it is, it's time that you have this conversation. Do it now. Don't pretend this isn't going to happen because it will by December 31st. All of your job postings are going to have salary data estimated. And imagine if the estimated amount is lower than what you're actually paying. Yeah. Or higher. It's really for you to control that narrative, because if you don't, someone else will, and no one wants to be in those shoes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Well, another fantastic week of the recruitment flex. And I was looking at, we're at 166 episodes. We have talked a lot over the years, but. (laughs) And we still find more to talk about. Well, it stays fun. Yeah. Have a fantastic weekend, Shelly. Thank you, sir. And we'll chat soon. Okay. Thank you. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.